Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Paul at Corinth, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our last episode was Philip Preaches in Samaria, Part 4, posted on April 16th. In that episode, we learned Simon shows conclusively that he was influenced by improper motives in becoming connected with the church of his day. He had not expected to receive as freely the Holy Ghost. He desired to buy, not to keep. He intended to sell, not to give. Simon saw that he might be able to communicate to others this power if he could confer on them the talent of speaking other languages it might be turned into vast account, and he sought, as we just noted, to purchase it of the apostles. How do you purchase something you cannot see? It is there, but the only evidence for it is the finished work. What Simon Magus wants to purchase cannot be sold because it cannot be seen. It has no physical presence as any object you can think of. Notice from King Comment's commentary on the whole Bible. The word simony comes from an expression that means that someone is looking for financial gain in spiritual things or for buying offices. Today, it could be both at the same time. Such people believe that godliness is a means of... To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, Philip Preaches in Samaria, Part 4. This week, our study is titled, Paul at Corinth, Part 1. Our study scripture reads, After this, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to depart from Rome. Paul approached them, and because he worked at the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. He addressed both Jews and Greeks in the synagogues every Sabbath, attempting to persuade them. From the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Now, first, in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34, Paul was in Athens. This Greek audience was religious but without salvation. We see this in this passage. So Paul stood before the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. 
For as I went around and observed closely your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship without knowing it, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives life and breath and everything to everyone. From the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 25. Addressing verse 23, Who is this unknown God spoken of here? This is its meaning here. It does not denote that Paul saw them engaged in the art of worship, but that he was struck with the numerous temples, altars, statues, etc., which were reared to the gods and which indicated the state of the people. In the Syriac, the temple of your gods. In the Vulgate, your images, margin, gods that you worship. From Barnes New Testament Notes. While the people at Athens were religious in action, we can see that they were not worshiping the true God in heaven. Now, let's look into some background for this study. Corinth was the capital of Achaia, called anciently Ephyra, and was seated on the Isthmus, which divides the Peloponnesus from Attica. The city itself stood on a little island. It had two ports, Lycaeum on the west and Centera on the east. It was one of the most populous and wealthy cities in Greece and, at the same time, one of the most luxurious, effeminate, proud, ostentatious, and dissolute. Lasciviousness here was not only practiced and allowed, but was consecrated by the worship of Venus, and no small part of the wealth and splendor of the city arose from the offerings made by licentious passion in the very temples of this goddess. No city of ancient times was more given to or characterized by reckless waste and wild extravagance. It was the seat of splendor and show and corruption. Yet even here, notwithstanding all the disadvantages of splendor, gaiety, and dissoluteness, Paul entered on the work of rearing a church, and here he was eminently successful. The two epistles which he afterwards wrote to the church show the extent of his success, and the well-known character and propensities of the people will account for the general drift of the admonitions and arguments in those epistles. Corinth was destroyed by the Romans 146 years before Christ and during the large destructive fire, several metals in a fused state running together 
produced the composition known as Corinthian brass. It was afterwards restored by Julius Caesar, who planted in it a Roman colony. It soon regained its ancient splendor and soon relapsed into its former dissipation and licentiousness. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Does this not speak, in a way, of modern Christians and places? They are in a Christless state of being. They receive Christ, supposedly, as their Lord and Savior, then regress or backslide into their unsaved way of being. In this regard, what is different today? This is still happening. Where people seem to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, then regress or, as it is said today, backslide into their former ways. We can see the challenge Paul faced in Corinth. Paul does not come here with an attitude to teach a lesson to that worldly city. He is aware that he is entering a field where people do not take God and his commandments into account at all, and where there is no respect whatsoever for human life. He comes there in fear and in much trembling. To win them for the gospel, he has not made use of excellence of words or wisdom that would not have convinced them of their sinfulness, but rather made them insensitive to the gospel. No, when he went to them, he had intended to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In the face of all immorality, he presented Christ and him crucified. He presented the person of Christ and his work on the cross to them. Thus he announced God's grace for them, and he also showed God's judgment of sin in it. From King Comment's Commentary on the Whole Bible As you can see, Paul faced a significant challenge ministering to the Corinthians, giving testimony as all should do. Yet, many assess the world they live in and make a negative decision to regress and not testify of their salvation in Christ to others. Fear is a part of this. Notice, Paul was fearful of the Corinthians. King Comment's commentary said of Paul, He comes there in fear and in much trembling. Now, while there is a spiritual component to this, there is also a very real component to this. And given the state of the Corinthians, the real component can very well be there. Can we view our world that we live in like Paul at Corinth? Notice how commentary opened. Paul does not come here with an attitude to teach a lesson to that worldly city. This tells us he already knows something about Corinth before he got there, as he clearly did of the people of Athens. Today, that should speak loud and clear about us prepping ourselves correctly before we witness and or testify of Christ our Savior. Simply 
Healing out unconsidered testimony frequently causes it to most always fall flat. People can become contentious and angry. These are just some of the things Paul has apparently considered before speaking to the people in Corinth. With the wisdom Paul has gained from knowing some things about Corinth, notice what Paul already knows about the people of Corinth. He is aware that he is entering a field where people do not take God and his commandments into account at all, and where there is no respect whatsoever for human life. Notice how this sentence opens. He is aware. Aware of what? That he is entering a field where people do not take God and his commandments into account at all. Can you see? Paul knows this before he enters Corinth. He also knows further. There is no respect whatsoever for human life. Would you witness your salvation in Christ where there is no respect whatsoever for human life? Today, no travel zones are such places. Think about that and whether people of such places need to hear of the saving grace of God. They do, don't they? However, like Paul knew about Corinth and the people there, one going to such a place today to witness must also do it with great foreknowledge of that place and those people that live there. Simply running to such a place and spouting out testimony can and frequently is hazardous to one's health. We notice that Paul considered the full situation at Corinth, so he was not walking in blindly. Notice Paul's means of convincing the Corinthians their need for Christ. To win them for the gospel, he has not made use of excellence of words or wisdom, meaning he does not try to sound elegant and well-educated to the Corinthians. Many, if not all, were not on this higher level. He determines their level and then wins them to the gospel on their own level. This can be done without resorting to foul language, even if one's audience uses it in the daily course of their communication. Secondly, here is the reason for how you address your audience. If Paul had made use of excellence and words of wisdom that would not have convinced them of their sinfulness, but rather made them insensitive to the gospel. Can you see how we can make people insensitive to the gospel in our course of witness if it is not done on their level of understanding as Paul assessed in his situation? Thirdly, when he went to them, he had intended to know nothing among them, quote, except Jesus Christ and him crucified, 
end quote. In this case, that's it. Can you simplify like Paul did if you find yourself in a situation where simplification is necessary? When Paul did this, we need to note, in the face of all immorality, he presented Christ and him crucified. He presented the person of Christ and his work on the cross to them. Thus, he announced God's grace for them, and he also showed God's judgment of sin in it. Can you see Paul's wisdom to assess his situation before he starts to witness? By doing this, it was the single largest contributor to the salvation of many Corinthians. Notice what Barnes told us of his success. Notwithstanding all the disadvantages of splendor, gaiety, and dissoluteness, Paul entered on the work of rearing a church, and here he was eminently successful. Can we today testify of such success in our witness to others? Or do we not consider those we will witness to and simply prattle on which is deemed by them as an offensive thing? Then, like we already learned of the Corinthians, the people we witness to want to throw us out of wherever we are at the time. I have heard many Christians who experience this very reaction and anger say, We did a good thing. Really? How? You have offended people, made them angry, and never want to hear from you again. How is that a good thing? Think about that as we move on. Verse 2 through 3 reads, There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to depart from Rome. Paul approached them, and because he worked at the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. The apostle, being now come to Corinth, where he was altogether a stranger and wanting money for his subsistence, the providence of God directed him to the house of Aquila and Priscilla, who, being of the same trade with himself, tent makers, he works with his own hands to maintain himself that he might not be burdensome to others. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. That short passage says a lot. Let us look at it closer. First, the apostle being now come to Corinth where he was altogether a stranger and wanting money for his subsistence, the providence of God directed him to the house of Aquila and Priscilla. Notice that Paul is already in Corinth and jobless. He is a stranger in Corinth. 
wanting food and other normal daily things of any time, he wants money for his subsistence. As a result, the providence of God directed him to the house of Aquila and Priscilla. Has the providence of God ever directed you to go somewhere, do something, or both? Paul clearly can hear God's voice despite the fact God is not physically here in person. Yet, Paul hears his voice. Do you believe you can hear God's voice when he speaks to you? If we learn to listen, we might be very surprised what we hear and positively know, beyond any doubt, from God's voice to us. Notice further, the occasion of Aquila's and Priscilla's coming to Corinth, with whom St. Paul lodged, the Roman Empire Claudius had banished them from Italy and Rome. Verse 2. Claudius commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. This can be viewed as a negative thing. Yet, these people, Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul, simply go when told to do so. All three, unknown to each other, go to Corinth. As stated before, they find each other by divine appointment or divine providence, and all have the same means of support. Tent making. This is where we today get hung up in our walk with God. We see the same thing, or similar things, as a negative. Many believe they have been sinful somehow, and God is taking away what was perceived as a blessing to them as punishment. Yet, many times, God takes away something to motivate us to do something else and or go somewhere else, as he clearly did with Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul. Note that a wicked world is soon weary of the saints of God and longs to worm them oft of their cities and societies, never considering that their own preservation from ruin is for the saints' sake, as the alleys in a garden are watered for the sake of the flowers, which otherwise would lie dry. Observe that the apostle had learned a trade, tent-making, before he was called to the ministry, and he wrought upon it occasionally after he was a minister. The most learned among the Jews did always learn some handicraft trade, it being a tradition among them, that he that does not learn his child a trade teaches him to be a thief, quote-unquote, so that although their children were designed for students, yet they did learn some trade. Accordingly, St. Paul, having learned to make tents, much used in those hot countries by soldiers and others, 
to keep off the violence of the weather, he works at Corinth upon his trade for his own subsistence. Men separated to the ministry of the gospel may upon a case of situation which demands prompt action or remedy, such as emergency or plight, labor for their living, not but that the apostle had power and sufficient warrant to challenge maintenance for his preaching, as he often intimates in the epistle. But there was not yet any church at Corinth to maintain him, and when there was, they were mostly of the poorer and meaner sort of people, and he would give them a convincing demonstration that he sought not theirs, but them. He demands, therefore, no maintenance, lest it should hinder the success of his ministry. But being of the same trade with Aquila and Priscilla, he takes up his lodging with them at Corinth and works at their trade. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. He addressed both Jews and Greeks in the synagogue every Sabbath, attempting to persuade them. Observe here how vehemently desirous the holy apostle was to plant a Christian church at Corinth and to bring the Jews of Corinth to embrace the gospel. He was pressed in spirit and testified, that is, reasoned with them with great vehemency and earnestness of affection, as well as with great judgment concerning the Messias. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Do you reason with people with great vehemency and earnestness of godly affection, as well as with great judgment concerning them? As much as many may want our witnessing to be a one-shot-and-done situation, can you see how Paul worked with people? It was not a one-shot-and-done situation as many do today. Many will not explain what they say to others, so they will understand better. Such people are told to go read your Bible, or go think about that, and it will come to you, or something equally unfulfilling and satisfying to help answer the question or questions you have ignited in them. Next week, we will examine our study titled, Paul at Corinth. Part 2. Here we see Paul addressing both Jews and Greeks. The Greeks are otherwise known too as Gentiles. We have already seen quite a bit of what happens early in a believer's life. As one ages as a child of God, stepping out and doing God's work is more of an implied requirement. We will examine how Paul, who was Saul, is stepping out in his day. Join us next week to learn more. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website 
under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all so much. We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. Find our website at our address, https colon forward slash forward slash the church of the unchurched dot org please type the church of the unchurched as a single word with no hyphen in unchurched our mobile tablet and desktop compliant website has more information links to many of our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item We are found on podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify, to name a few. We refresh our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, East Coast Time, USA. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms. Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.